You are listening to the City on a Hill Sermon Podcast. For more information about our church and to support this ministry, visit cityonahilldfw.com. Thank you. to see all of you here each week it seems like our first service crowd just kind of picks up a few more people yep. now if we can get that second service bunch of folks on it then uh we'll, we'll be, get it we'll, uh, be, we'll be half of what we were prior to COVID. <laughs> we'll be we'll be half the church am we I, used to be am I, am I cynical <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know uh, people are talking about you know the uh, pastors the way they describe it now people say well how large is your church i said well, you won't Pre-COVID or post-COVID? Yeah. Uh, because we're going to start, you know, we started measuring history by, you know, Jesus' birth, B.C. and A.D., and we're going to start measuring churches by, you know, pre-COVID, before COVID, before B.C. COVID, that would yeah, be B.C. It's the second and B.C. Yeah. And then, then A.C. instead of A.D. Well, what's funny, they're saying now that a church that's around 200 to 250 people is considered large. Oh, yeah. That's a big church. Yeah, it's a big church now. It's a big church now. So, uh, you know, seriously, (laughs) I think I've told you all this, that uh, I had the privilege this last, oh, about four months ago of going and doing a Safe Place, Safe Process workshop at a church in Boise, Idaho, that is the second largest church in the entire state of Idaho, thousands of people. They were running six services on Sunday before COVID. And they're revamping their entire program to become a hospital church, which that's an exciting thing. That'll, that'll kill your numbers right that, off the bat. Well, you know. between COVID and hospital church, I don't know if they're even going to survive <laughs> or not. But when I was there, they were doing three services and had half of the chairs uh, taken out of the auditorium and they weren't filling any of those three up. So, you know, that's, that's the effect. And I haven't heard an update recently, but uh, of how things are happening, but I hope and pray that they're beginning to come back even as we are and, and a lot of churches are around the country. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Exodus chapter 3 and 4. We're actually going to wrap up the series this morning that we've been doing on the identity crisis, but then we're going to spend a couple more weeks in Exodus. I just think that while we're in the territory of Exodus, we re- there's a couple other things that we need to, to launch on. So since we're in the neighborhood uh, of Exodus, we'll continue on for a couple more weeks, but we're actually really kind of wrapping up this whole thing about the identity crisis that Moses was in and how that relates to us in our lives, because you remember in Exodus chapter 3, God comes to to Moses and he speaks to Moses and Moses is a fugitive now from Egypt and he's keeping his father-in-law's sheep on the backside of the Sinai and God speaks to him and says, now I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And immediately Moses begins to argue with God about that. In other words, Moses, you could say Moses' insecurity about being capable of doing what God was calling him to do begins to show up real quickly. So he begins to argue with God because basically Moses did not feel he was qualified. He just didn't feel he was qualified to do what God called him to do. He was insecure about being able to do it. So we talked about the insecurity gap. And the insecurity gap that we all have is the gap between what you feel you should be and the gap and what you feel you actually are. And that gap is your insecurity gap. You know what you feel you should be, but then you look at yourself and you go, this is what I am. And in between is this gap. For some, it's like this. For some, it's like this. But we all have one. And Moses had one as well. 
And so God reveals him first self to Moses, first of all, as being capable of filling that gap. He revealed himself as the omnipotent one who can do anything. The omniscient one who knows everything. He knows Moses' problems. He knows the, the struggle of his people, the Hebrews, in, in bondage and omnipresent because God said, Moses, I will go with you. And so Moses' insecurity was rooted in three very practical issues that we still deal with today. Moses, first of all, was insecure above his past. Moses had a past. He had some things behind him that were not good. And, and he felt that because of those things, he was really disqualified from going to and speaking to Pharaoh, first of all. He said, you know, I, you know, you know, Lord, I mean, he had murdered a, an Egyptian and Pharaoh was after him. And so I'm not qualified to do that. But also the Hebrew people to go and tell them, hey, follow me. I'm going to take you out of here. They're going to go, who are you? You know, what horse did you ride in on that we're going to follow you into the wilderness? And so Moses said, God, I, I can't do that. And so we talked about that week about what to do when you feel insecure about your past. You confess it, okay? That means you own it inwardly. And then you confess it upwardly. You take it to God. And you confess it outwardly and you let other people know. And so you begin to live with transparency. And then the second thing is you allow God to cover that past with his forgiveness. And last week I went more in depth and went back and picked that up about what God does, what the scripture says God does with our sin and our past when he forgives it. And he said, First uh, John 1, 9, he cleanses it. Second, he casts it into the depths of the sea, Micah 7, 19. He carries it away like the scapegoat in the wilderness in Leviticus 19. He cancels the debt of it, the certificate of debt that sin has against us. God nails it to the cross in Christ. And then Acts, in Romans 8, he condemns it. Were you going to say something? No, I was nailing it. Oh, okay. I thought you were asking, I thought you were asking for the microphone and I was going to talk right over you. He condemns it. In Romans 8, 1, it says, there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And in verse 3, he says, why? Because God has condemned sin. So I don't have to be condemned because he's condemned the thing that would condemn me. So let God's forgiveness cover your past. And then the last thing is you let God change you. Mm. Because the incontrovertible evidence that you are in Christ that you are in grace, that you are under the atoning blood of Jesus is the life transformation that is happening in you. That's the one thing that people cannot argue with. So confess it, okay? Let God cover it with forgiveness and then let the Father change you and put your past behind you. Is it Pumbaa that said put your behind in the past, That's right. okay? That's right. Put your past behind you. And the second thing that we talked about last week is Moses felt insecure about his potential. In other words, Moses not only looked at his past and said, that's a problem for me, but he looked at himself and he said, you know, this is a big task that you're calling me to fulfill. And I, I just don't have what it takes. And he specifically talks about his capacity to speak in Exodus 4, verse 10. He said, Lord, you know, I'm not eloquent. I'm very, in fact, I'm very slow of speech. We don't know if he had a particular speech impediment or if he was just you know, uh, shy of the stage or what it was, but Moses did not see himself as qualified to go and give speeches to Pharaoh or to the people of God, the Hebrew people. So he just said, you know, I'm, I'm not adequate for that. 
And so you really need somebody else, and actually God eventually did, in order to fill that gap. Remember what he did? He gave him Aaron, who was very eloquent, to speak for him. See, God always has a way of filling our insecurity gap. But Derek did a great job last week of talking about how God covers that when we look at ourselves and we see that which is lacking in us, and honestly can see that there are some, some lacks in us, that how God has the ability to come along and fill those gaps in our potential. Now, as I said, Derek dealt with that, but there's never a time in any of these messages to really take it as deep as we need to. So I want to do again what I did last week. I want to come back for a moment and go back to that and talk with you for just a moment about some more about this issue of when we allow our insecurity about our abilities or our potential or any of those things, when we allow any of those things to get in the way of being obedient to Christ, of doing what he has called us to do. You know, we talked about that, that potential, and we feel often very insecure about our abilities. Yeah, and it's interesting to me that Jesus told one of the parables about that very issue. Yep. Now, it is not often realized that that's really what this parable is about because of what we've called it. The editors And, you know, Jesus didn't say, let me tell you this parable and then give it a name. But Jesus would tell a parable. Well, and our editors, as we go through and try to edit and and give headings, then they give these parables a name. So in Matthew 25, the editors of our translations have called this the parable of the talents. Okay. And it's about talents, not talents like we know talents, but it's about talents of money. But really, the editors would have been better to have called this the parable of potential. Because that's really what the parable is about. Now, a talent was a sum of money, a large sum of money. And Jesus tells a story of a man who was a uh, a landowner, a wealthy individual, who was going away on a trip. And so he called his top three servants in, and he entrusted his wealth to them for them to do something with. Now you go, well, golly, he's going on a trip. I mean, golly, he could be back tomorrow. You know, you catch a plane, you go to LA and you fly back tomorrow and you're back. Why is he doing it? No, that's not the way they did things. For them, a trip might be months. It could be years, depending on how far they were going. I'm reading a book right now of a period of time, even 1500 years after the time of Christ, just to get in a boat and carry uh, merchant supplies. It was a six month trip on the ocean, one way to get to where they were. So when we think about travel today, that's not what it's like in Jesus' day. Oftentimes when they went away, if they were going away on a, a, a trip someplace, they could be gone for a year or two years. And so he calls in his, his top uh, managers, his top servants. And he says, I'm going to entrust all of my wealth to you. And I want you to manage it while I'm gone. And I want you to steward it while I'm gone. And I want you to grow it because he said, that's what he would be doing. If he was still there, be investing it. Did one of them invest in GameStop? (laughs) If they did, if they did, it's big, it's big trouble. It sure is. You know, maybe one of them was one of the guys that put the squeeze on the on the hedge funds. These are these are hedge fund managers. These are hedge fund managers. That's exactly right. Y'all are going. If you don't know what we're talking about, you've been living in a hole. Okay. Uh, Anyway, oh, thank you for that. That was a moment of quality relief right there. That's right. So to one of the servants, he gives him five talents of money. That was an enormous amount of money, okay? Don't tell us why he gave that one five. He just said, I'm going to give you five. To another one, he gave him three, okay? Still a lot of money. And to the third one, he gave him one talent. Still, that's a bunch of money. 
So what was the master doing? He said, I'm going to entrust this to you and I want you to manage it like I would and do with it what I would while I'm gone. Now, what was he doing? He was investing in them potential. When he gave them this money, he gave them the potential to do something enormous with it. And come when he came back to be able to say to the master, this is why I was responsible with this. I invested this and here I have to give it mm. back to you and also all that I earned. And so when he came back, he did what he was said he was going to do. He's going to ask them, what did you do with what I entrusted you with? And to the one who had been given five, he had invested it. We don't know how. Maybe he did go into hedge funds. I don't know. He, he invested it. And he said, here, master, you gave me five. I have those. And I have earned five more. I've doubled your money in a period of time. And he said, well, well done. Good and faithful servant. What did he do? He, he took that opportunity to show potential. And that's what he did. To the one who was given three talents of money, he said, Master, here are the three you gave me and I've invested it. And here are three more. He doubled his as well. He wasn't given five, he was given three. So he doubled that as well. He got the very same praise. Well done, good and faithful servant. And then the dude that had been given one, he comes before the master. You're familiar with this story. And he said, Master, I don't have any profit to show, but here's the one talent that you gave me because you see, master, I was afraid. And so I went out and I buried it. But here, here's what you, you gave me. Now, I want, you, I want to talk to you for just a moment before I turn it over to him about three things that burying your potential will, res, will result in. Because that's what he did. He could have gone and done what the other two did. He only had one, but he wasn't held responsible for five, was he? What was he responsible for? He was responsible for one because that's what the master entrusted him. He could have taken that one and said, okay, how do I invest this wisely and how do I really show the master that, I, that I'm, I'm a faithful steward? He could have gone and done what the other two did. And when the master came, he could have said, here's your one and here's one more that I've earned for you. He would have gotten the praise of the master. Well done, good and faithful servant. Because the master was not holding them accountable for what the others had been given. He was holding each one of them accountable only for what they had been given. And so he says, I was afraid. Translate that, I was insecure about what to do. And so I took what you gave me and I did nothing with it. I buried it in the ground. Mm. Now, three lessons of what allowing your insecurity to keep you from investing your potential, that which God has given you, whether it's five, whether it's three, whether it's one, it doesn't matter. You're responsible. I'm responsible for what God has given me. And he says, now do something with this. First of all, it will cause you to miss your opportunity. Insecurity about potential will cause you always to miss your opportunity. The opportunity comes and you look at yourself and you go, I'm not up to this. And so I'm going to bury what I have. You see, the master gave the man who had been given one, he gave him something and he wanted him to do something with it. The master had entrusted him. The master, in fact, had invested in him and said, now you take this and you show me what you will do with it. Mm. What an opportunity. Yeah. To hear the master say, wow, well done, good and faithful servant. But because he was insecure, because he was afraid, 
he buried what the master had entrusted to him. And he didn't get to hear that. In fact, what he heard was quite opposite of that, as we're going to see in a moment. He misses opportunity. Now, how often do we do this? God comes to us in our heart or in a word speaking or an opportunity comes and we look at that opportunity and we go, well, I can't do that because of this and this and this and this. And we bury our potential and miss our opportunity to do something that perhaps we never dreamed would happen because the father comes alongside of it. Second of all, it will cause you to deny your responsibility. This is really interesting. Because in the parable, the master asks the servant, why did you bury it and do nothing with it? You could have at least taken it down to the bank and earned a little interest on it. Why did you dig a hole and put it in the ground? And this is what the man did. He blamed the master. He blamed the master for what he had done. He said, well, I knew you to be this and this and this and this, and I was afraid, so I went out and buried it. Wow. The master entrusts to him this wonderful potential, this one, and then he squanders it, and then he blames the master. Hmm. That doesn't sound a whole lot unlike what we do, does it? We squander the potential that the master has invested into us, whether it's five, two, or one, it doesn't matter, and then we bury it, and then we look for somebody else to blame. Well, why didn't you do this? Well, I didn't do this because of the home that I was raised in. Or well, why didn't you do this? Well, because you don't know my circumstances. And, and why didn't you do this? Well, I, God just never gives me a break. Yeah, we blame other people. We blame circumstances. We blame God. We deny our responsibility. See, the master, whatever it is, is he has invested to you. It's your responsibility. If it's five talents, one talent, or three talents, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Whatever the master has invested in you, it is your job to achieve that potential that the master saw in you. And he will give you that praise. He won't measure you against somebody else that was given more or different. He will measure each one of us according to what he's entrusted to us. That's good. I'm not responsible for what Derek has been given, and Derek is not responsible for what I am been given. I'm responsible for what I've been given. And he is responsible to God for what he has been given. And the last thing, it will cause you to face accountability. The master called him to account a wicked and lazy servant. Master said, I'm going to hold you accountable for that. And then what he did, he took the one talent that he had given him away from him and said, you're not worthy. You're not faithful to manage this. Wow. What did he say to the other two? He called him faithful servants. Well done, good and faithful servant. You see, folks, when we look at ourselves as Moses did and begin to argue with God and say, God, look at my potential. Man, I, I, I can't measure up to that. We We deny so much opportunity. Now, what do you do then with your insecurity when you're insecure over your potential? And I've got a minute and a half and I'll do it. First of all, you accept the limitations you cannot change. You know, there's some limitations that we can't change, right? You can't change your height. You can't change your family of origin. You can't change your genetic makeup. None of those. And all of the positive thinking and all the positive confessions are not going to make you a seven foot two center for the NBA if you're five foot four. It just isn't going to happen, okay? So there are some limitations that we all have. And so what do you do? You simply accept that. 
If there are things you can change, you change them. If there are things you cannot change, then you work within those boundaries. And the Father knows what those are, right? When Moses said, you know, I, I cannot speak well, God responded to that in verse 11 of chapter 4. He says, who has made the mouth? Is he not I, the Lord? Mm. Don't I know your mouth, Moses? What are you doing? Throwing your mouth at me and saying you can't do this. I made your mouth. Second of all, believe that he will use you in spite of those things that you cannot change. Believe you, he, he is omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent. And so you come to the Lord and you say, okay, Lord, I don't see how this is gonna happen, but I trust you because I know this is what you've told me to do. You see, Moses' problem wasn't only an insecurity problem, Moses had a faith problem. His focus was on his limitations rather than on the Lord. His focus was on his insecurity gap rather than his God. And I love the fact that 1 Corinthians 1.27 says that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So if you think you're foolish, say, Lord, I'm a fool, but if you want to use me, here I am. Lord, I'm so weak, but if you want to use me, here I am. You see, he doesn't only use the outcast, but he does use the outcast. That's right. Isn't that good? It's not only the outcast that he uses. He'll use the high and mighty and he'll use the low and weak. He'll use us all. He'll hold the high and mighty to a higher accountability for what they've been given in potential. He'll hold us to what he has given to us. The third thing is commit to be available. Commit yourself to be available. This looks like I may be limited, but I'm available. Derek made a comment last week that is good. God is not looking for ability. He's looking for cooperation. He didn't come to Moses because Moses was a great speech maker. And he didn't expect Moses to be a great speech maker. All he expected was Moses to cooperate with him. And I'll figure out the problems, Moses. I'll figure out the potential issues for you. I'm not asking you for the ability to make great speeches. I'm asking you to submit to me and to cooperate with me and do what I've called you to do. You get that? So, so let's go on now for the next 25 minutes. And Derek is going to take us into that third issue, that third problem that Moses would deal with. He was dealing with his past. He was dealing with his potential. And thirdly, he's got a priority problem. Oh, well, he's the only one in the world that's ever had one of those. Right. None of us do. So I guess we can pray and uh, we'll be done for today, I guess. Yeah, so here's the Go deal. Did, did Moses have a past? Sure did. Yes, he did. Yeah, real past and it was a real problem. Did he have limitations? Yes, he had real limitations, there were real problems, he couldn't speak, but at the end of the day, neither of these problems were really the real problem. <laughs> he did have a past, but God dealt with the past, didn't he? He, he gave him signs, and, and he, he, he cleansed him and condemned his sin, and, and all the things that James talked about, all those beautiful pictures of what God does with our past. He did have limitations, but God dealt with those limitations. He gave him Aaron, he gave him words to speak to Pharaoh and to the Hebrew people. So he had real problems, but he also had real solutions for mm -hmm. these problems. So you would think after those two things, like, well, that's it. Well, God, you figured it out. Yeah. Let's go. Moses is ready to roll. I mean, this is about to get going, but he's not. He's not because neither of those problems were the real problem. It wasn't a problem of his past. It wasn't a problem of his potential. It was a problem of priority. You're saying blow, Moses was blowing smoke he in was, God's face. He was blowing smoke in God's face. Well, have was, we ever done that? 
Yeah. You ever blown smoke and got Come up with all kinds of these fake excuses. He didn't, the bottom line is he didn't want to do what God was asking him to do. <laughs> there you go. Look at his response. God is like, I've dealt with your past, Moses. It's gone. I've given you signs, Moses. I'll be with you, Moses. I'll send Aaron with you, Moses. This is his response. Exodus 4, verse 13. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. <laughs> that sounds like Monty Python. That oh, sounds, my Lord. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> It sounds like a great worship song, honestly. Like, I think you know, like an honest worship song. Oh, my Lord, oh, yes. please send someone else. Right, I mean, like, this is what we feel. He just wanted to show you his potential no, to carry no, a tune. No, Now, at least we're being honest now with Moses, right? There's no more excuses. He's just getting down to a level of honesty. And this is important. This is an important detail. I don't want you to miss this. Let me give you a fun little experiment to illustrate this. I want you to think of something in your life right now, some, some task that you have been called to, whether it's by God, or we can even go more practical than that. Maybe it's a family member or a friend, something that someone is asking you to do that requires a little bit of cooperation on your end, okay? And, and whatever thing, whatever limitation you have in your life, whether it's a lack of money or skill set or courage or whatever the problem is, I want you to, for a moment, Hold that task in your mind and imagine that whatever that limitation is, is now gone, okay? It's been dealt with. And I want to ask you, do you still have some reluctance to do that thing? Because if you do, it's not really a problem of limitation. Mm -hmm. It's a problem of priority. Because if what we're saying is, if all those limitations are removed and I'm still not so sure I want to go down that path, then it really has nothing to do with my lack of skill set or money or courage or whatever the thing may be. It has to do with the sheer fact that I just don't really want to do it. <laughs> I just don't want to do it. It ain't on my list. It's a, it's a priority problem. And, and as James mentioned ago, we said last week, God isn't looking for capability. He's looking for cooperation. You could think of it this way too. God isn't looking for ability. He's looking for availability. Mm -hmm. He just wants you to be available. I kind of mixed both of those. You kind did. That's okay. Yeah, that's the both words. Yeah. <laughs> now, again, I can't stress this enough to you. You are not capable of doing kingdom work on your own. You're not. You don't have it in you. Despite whatever mommy or daddy or motivational speaker said to you, you're, you don't have it. It's not in you. You don't have what it takes. But God does, and he knows he does. So he's not looking for capability. He's looking for cooperation. He's not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. The perfect example of this, kind of the, the uh, anti-Moses, if you will, in the Old Testament is another prophet uh, named Isaiah. Most of you are familiar with Isaiah. wrote a really, really big book in the Old Testament. It's the book of Isaiah. Isaiah. Yeah. Uh, God calls <laughs> Isaiah to a task in uh, Isaiah 6. He, he, calls, he calls Isaiah to a task in Isaiah 6, and immediately Isaiah brings up his past. He has a past, just like Moses. Isaiah 6, 5, he says, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. In other words, Lord, I have a past. This disqualifies me from what you're asking me to do. And so God, what does he do? He deals with his past, just like he did with Moses. Isaiah 6, 6 and 7, it says, One of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Amen. Past is gone, right? God deals with Isaiah's past, just like he did Moses. And so now what is Isaiah to do? Uh, Lord, I don't know what to say. I have no words. Isaiah 6, 9, and the Lord said, go and say this to the people. 
And then the following verses are all of the things that God outlines for Isaiah to say. Kind of like he said to Moses, go and... Exactly, exactly. So he deals with his past. He deals with these limitations. He he clears his debt of sin. He gives him words to speak to the people he is sending him to. So what is the difference between Isaiah and Moses? It's not their past. God dealt both with their past. It's not their limitations. God has given them both words to speak. It's their availability. Moses says, Lord, please send someone else. What does Isaiah say? Here I am, send me. Send me. You see, God isn't looking for capability, he's looking for cooperation. It's not about your ability, it's about your availability. You can either be an Isaiah and say, here I am, send me, or you can be a Moses and say, send someone else. But at the end of the day, what you have to reckon with is if you're in that camp with Moses, it's not a potential problem, it's not a past problem, it's a priority problem. So how do you figure this out? How do you know? This is, this is really the, the gold question, right? How do you know whether or not you're an Isaiah or a Moses? Is it just as simple as whether or not you tell the Lord, send me or, or send someone else? I mean, is that, is that how you figure this out? I would say yes and no, because I think it's a little more complicated than that. I want to give you a principle that I think is a really great diagnostic tool. Priority is determined by action, not acknowledgement. Let me say that again. Priority is determined by action, not acknowledgement. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean is you can't say something is a priority in your life if you've only acknowledged it as a priority. For it to be a priority in your life, it requires action towards that thing. Now, this is not new, groundbreaking stuff I'm giving you. you. If you've grown up in church, you've probably heard this in another discussion your whole life. Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Right. Not the one who says, Lord, Lord. Not the one who acknowledges, but the one who acts. The one who does the will of the Father. This is not new ground, right? I mean, you've all heard this before if you've been in church for some amount of time. But I want to dig deeper here because here's the reality. is James and I have been talking about this this week. We live in a time and a place in human history that truly is unlike any other time in human history. And what I mean by that is, is we live in an age of social media, right? Social media has impacted us in more ways than I think we probably have even figured out at this point at a professional level, much less just a normal person level. One of those ways that it has impacted us is it has, it has created an environment where we believe that we are acting when we post on social media, when in actuality what we are doing is we are acknowledging. In other words, here's the truth. Social media is a place of acknowledgement, not action. Now, that's an important truth that I want you to get because we're going to talk about this every minute. Now, this, because it challenges us, doesn't it? It challenges me. I'm going to give you two examples to help you think about this. Two very different examples, okay? Let's talk about, talk about the issue of abortion for a minute, being pro-life. It's a topic that is very near and dear to both James and I's hearts. So let's say for a moment that you have one individual who is very pro-life, and he posts or she posts regularly on Facebook about abortion statistics, uh, scripture verses, backing it up, all the things that you would expect someone who is very passionate about this to post on social media. And then let's say you have a second person who maybe they post a lot, some, maybe not much at all, but, but they're very active at places like the Women's Choice Resource Center. They give their money to ministries that are on the front lines battling, literally battling for the lives of the unborn. 
me ask you a question. Which one of these has made the battle for the unborn a priority? The second one. Now, let me give you another example, just because I, I want to hit both sides here. You know, back in the day, they would have said, Preacher, you stopped preaching and you started meddling. <laughs> started meddling, yeah. Started meddling. Yeah, absolutely. Started meddling in our lives. So, let's talk about poverty, because this is another one. Poverty, mm-hmm. the poor, refugees, all of that whole discussion. Again, consider the first person who posts regularly about the injustice of oh, poverty. we need to help the poor. Yeah, the, yeah and, 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 and typically these posts are, are, are indicting the church. The church needs to do more. That's right, church needs to do more. But then you have the second guy who maybe he doesn't post much at all, but he is actively giving time and money to organizations like Compassion International. Or maybe he's plugged in with Chris here at City on a Hill and is serving at Eastside Ministries, a ministry on the east side of Fort Worth that is literally on the front lines battling poverty, giving clothing to the poor during the wintertime, giving food to people who are in need. Let me ask you a question. Which one of these has made the battle for ending poverty a priority? Which one really cares about the poor? Yeah. It's really what he's trying to ask. The one that talks about it or the one that does something. So here's, here's the thing, and, and again, I'm not, I'm not dogging on, on using social media. What I'm saying is we need to reorient ourselves to what we're actually doing with it. We are acknowledging a problem. We are not acting on that problem. And we can't be fooled into thinking otherwise. This isn't just my opinion. This is a, there's biblical precedent here. James chapter 2, uh, the, the, James talks about how faith without works is dead, And he says, in other words, you you can think of it this way, acknowledgement without action is dead, okay? Uh, James 2, verses 14 through 17, he says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, did you catch that? If you were walking along and you saw a poor person, cold and hungry, and you were to say, be blessed, brother, and be warm and filled. (laughs) Oh, I feel so sorry for you. I love you so much. What good is this doing if you haven't actually given him a coat or food? Now, I would modernize that a little bit, and I would say, uh, imagine that you are on the, the street walking down to wherever you're walking, and you see a poor person, and you say to him, you know what? You matter to me. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to do everything I can to make gonna sure that you're... I'm going to post on Facebook. I'm going to go home and post, post on How Facebook. We need to fix this homeless problem. And, that, and that's what you do. You begin sharing about the injustice of poverty. Is this guy still cold and hungry? He is. He is. Now, you may be thinking right now, well, I don't really feel safe giving a person on the streets food or clothing, and that's okay. There are countless ministries that have figured out how to do that in, in a safe and proper way. So what we would do is they need time, they need your money, they need your resources to be able to carry out this task because it's a difficult task. And, and you might think, well, I don't really have the money or time to give to them. That's okay too, no judgment. But let me be very clear. It isn't a priority in your life then. That's the reality. If it were, you would make time and money for those things. James, not James in the Bible, James, Uh, (laughs) wrote in his uh, workbook, Life Change for Every Christian, a quote that has challenged every person that has been through it, which is this, you cannot act contrary to what you believe. We believe that here. You cannot act contrary to what you believe. If you believe something is a real issue, you will 
act accordingly. If your actions, in other words, don't bend towards the issues that you say you care about, you don't really care about them. They aren't a priority. You acknowledge them as a problem, but they're not really a priority in your life. Action always determines priority, not mm-hmm. acknowledgement. Nothing wrong with acknowledgement, but acknowledgement without action is dead. Now, I want to come back to the text for a minute. What does this mean? When, when God calls us to a task like Moses, what we have to do is ask the question, is it my past that's limiting me? Because if it is, God has dealt with that. Is it my potential that is limiting me? Because if it is, I'm not capable, even if I don't have this limitation in my life, I need the power of the Holy Spirit in my life to do what it is I'm doing. So, so is it those things or is it really that I haven't made obeying God a priority in my life? And the way you figure that out, the answer to that question is by looking at your actions. You won't be perfect. You won't get it right every time. But is there action in your life or only acknowledgement? And that's not to say that we shouldn't acknowledge. No, not at all. speak. Absolutely. If if it stops at acknowledgement, it's not a priority. It's not a priority. It's not something we really believe. We just want to hear ourselves talk. That's right. And, of course, there are a lot of keyboard keyboard commandos out there that really love to hear themselves talk. Oh, yeah. And about the poor, you know, we get it all the time. Oh, yeah. Oh, the church should do more for the poor. And I, I'll, I'll come back and go, well, what are you doing for the poor? I know what City on the Hill is doing. We partner with Cornerstone Ministries. We partner with uh, Eastside uh, Ministries, Eastside Ministries and, and Mission Arlington. We yeah. give. We support those because they're professionals at. So are you doing anything about it? Or are you just talking about it? Is it just an idea or is it something you really believe? Yeah, yeah. Now, here's the, here's the good news for, for at least Moses. We know that Moses eventually does make this a priority, doesn't he? Because if you've read the rest of Exodus, and what we're going to find out in the next couple of weeks is that Moses does actually eventually step up and do what God asks him to do. Even in the midst of his limitations, Moses is sent, and he does what he's called to, and God works incredibly through Moses. He gets it. The question is, will we? Will you? Will I? Will we step up to the plate and act Acknowledging is good, but acknowledgement, listen, acknowledgement isn't building the kingdom of God. Action is. That's how it's built. Hmm. So as we move forward these next couple weeks, I hope that you will think very deeply about this. Consider in your life places where maybe you've been asked to serve or you've been asked to step up and do something, either by another person or you've just felt that kind of inward tug of the Holy Spirit on your heart to go and do that, that thing that you know you'd probably be Pretty, pretty equipped, not because of something in you, but because God has made you uniquely to do that thing. And you gotta ask the question, am I not doing that right now because I just haven't made it a priority in my life? And if that's the case, then, then we gotta deal with it. Can I say something? Please. Right now, we're here physically in this room meeting. And it's wonderful that we can do that. We can do that with freedom. We can do that without fear that the brown shirts are not going to kick our door in and drag us all to prison. But also while we're doing that, through modern technology of the internet and capacity of streaming and all that, we are actually broadcasting this worship time. When the team was here a moment ago, we were broadcast worldwide. Now, not everybody in the world was accessing it, but anybody in the world that wanted to access it could through the internet. What an incredible tool for the propagation of the gospel and all of those kinds of things. But do you realize, and it always amazes me, that Christians 
would say, Christians are not being persecuted in America. Are you kidding me? The move is on to silence us like it has never been before. And there is the potential. In fact, part of the fight is about the capacity to carry the message over technology. Right now, the message of the gospel is being censored on Facebook. When, and you go, well, they would never stop us streaming our service. Are you kidding me? If we are silent and we do nothing. Or if we just get on, you know, keyboard commandos and we just get online and we talk about, oh, man, we're being sent, but never do anything about it. Or maybe even do things that are going to create the opposite effect. Well, and the reality is, you know, there's, there's, so, much, there's so much right now uh, concern about freedoms being taken from us to come to church, and yet some of the loudest voices aren't even coming to church. Don't even come. And so, so is it a priority? So it's like, I mean, we're not talking about you that are concerned health-wise. No. That's not what we're talking about. No, no, no. We're talking about the keyboard commandos out there that, that talk about that and then don't even take advantage It's of like, it. when was the last time you were in church? Then shut up. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> and, you know, this, is, this morning I got... A, I got a message from a friend. I did a workshop in North Carolina about three or four years ago in Charlotte, a great church. There's a group of men there called themselves the Barn Brothers. They meet weekly in a barn (laughs) to hold each other accountable, to pray, to share, to encourage men to be faithful husbands, faithful fathers, all of those kinds of things. Promise Keepers Mm -hmm. had held a virtual event. These men, the Barn Brothers, were gonna stream the event and they wanted to make other men who were maybe not a part of their circle or the church aware of this opportunity. It was Promise Keeper's marriage to teach Christian men how to be better husbands. And so they put an ad on Facebook and Facebook wouldn't post it. It violated their community standards. Do you think the message of the gospel is not being shut down? Now, it's one thing for us to go out on social media and be keyboard commandos and, and rail about it. Here, here's the question. If, if the free dissemination of the gospel is important to you, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? For, for one, share it. For one, actually share it. Yeah. Share the gospel. How important is the gospel to you? Well, when was the last time you talked to someone about Jesus? Don't you dare go on on social media and be a keyboard commando about all of the things that are going on and you personally are not interested in sharing your faith in Christ. You see, it's easy to be, it's easy to be heard. It's not easy. You'll never hear me post something on Facebook that I'm not going to back it up with action. And people get their under, underwear all in a wad about that, about me. Okay? And you know what I say? Wad them up, baby. <laughs> wad them up. People in this church have gotten their underwear wadded up because I am very vocal about these things. You know why I'm vocal about them? Not because of politics. Because I'm a pastor and I care about people and I care about your lives and I care about the gospel of Jesus and I know what's happening. And I'm not going to just be a keyboard commando and post about it. I am actively on the front lines and if you don't like it, tie your underwear around your nose and go somewhere else. Let's pray. Father,
wow, how clear Derek has just exposed our hypocrisy. Your Holy Spirit has done it as he's spoken these words. Lord, may your people repent of their just words, of saying one thing and doing another, sometimes even saying one thing and doing the exact opposite in these things like, are we really, do we really believe that the life of the unborn is precious to you? Do we really believe that you care for the poor? Or is that just something we want to talk about so people will think that we're good people? Mm. And when the pressure comes, it's the pushback comes, all of a sudden our mouths go silent. And there was never any action anyway, so we don't really need to change anything there. Oh, dear God, call your people to repentance. And may you, through us, regardless of what our culture does and regardless of what our government does, be faithful to the action of promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, the resurrection of our Savior, and the only way to the Father is through him. May we say to the world, bring it on. You will not silence us. You will not shut us up. We pray this in the strong powerful name of our Savior Jesus. And Father, make us willing to lay our lives on the altar for that cause. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Got out right on time. We got you out two minutes early. Look at that. What, what a great job.